Well, good afternoon. Um, my name is John T. It's great to see you. Um, could you turn to Genesis chapter 3? It's on page 5 in the Church Bibles. And um, we've been uh, looking at these early chapters of Genesis. And what I'm going to do this week um, is slow right down and just look at one verse. There's one verse that I want us to really chew on this afternoon. I want us to dig deeply into what it says and seek to see how it informs uh, all that we experience in our world. Because I've got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I hate war. I hate it. I hate Remembrance Sunday. I find it so hard to think and to consider the horror of what people experienced. I actually find it very, very hard. I find, emotionally, I find it very heavy. And it makes me question, how does that even happen? How does it happen that someone could be so evil? This week, I read um, a, a news report of something that happened up in Enfield. I used to live in Enfield. This week, some people broke into the house of a 96-year-old man. They wanted to rob him, but they didn't just rob him. They beat him. They beat him senseless and left him, and he wasn't found until the next morning. He's 96 years old. If you want his stuff, just take his stuff. What is it that would make... I don't get it. There is something... There's something about evil which is more powerful and cannot be explained by a naturalistic view of this world. There must be. And sometimes I look into my own heart and I find myself doing stuff and I think, what are you doing? Why are you behaving that way? I hate it. I hate this conflict that I feel. The conflict I see on... See, on big scale in the world, but also the conflict I see in my own heart. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Great War. The Great War is not World War I, because World War I was not the war to end all wars. But the Great War we discover in the Bible, this is the war that ends all wars. And it's right here in Genesis. It's right here. So let me read um, the verse, and then we're going to look at it. We're going to read verses 14 and 15. This is what God said to the snake. So humanity, the, the snake and humanity have rebelled against God, and God says this to the snake. Because you have done, verse 14, so the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. This is the verse we're going to particularly focus on. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Point to imagine, uh, imagine with me um, an acorn, okay? Let's, um, let's go to that. This is where we're at. I want you to imagine with me an acorn, okay? Uh, here it is. Um, it's very small and you probably can't see it. Uh, but here's, here's an acorn. I love, acorns are cool. 
Because when you look at an acorn, it's very small. But actually, you know, because you're not children anymore, you know that that acorn contains within it all the sort of potential of an oak tree. Do you think that's cool? Yes, I can see you all amazed by, by it. It's all sort of there in, in very small form, but it's everything is there to grow from that acorn out to be an enormous oak tree. Right, verse 15 is an acorn verse. Verse 15 of Genesis 3 contains within it the story, the whole story of the Bible in this verse. It's an acorn, acorn verse. It's very small and it would be easy to miss it. But this is the story of the whole of the Bible. And that's important for us because all of us long for a story. We want a story where we can place ourselves. We want to know where we fit in the great narrative of the world. We, you know what I mean? It's why we love fairy tales. A fairy tale where... There's a dragon that gets slayed by a hero. Everybody loves that. Who doesn't love a dragon-slaying hero? And who doesn't long for a happy ending? And we love fairy tales because we sort of hope that perhaps we might live in a fairy tale and that perhaps one day there will be a hero who will put an end to the dragon and all the suffering and evil will be over. And we sort of long for that and yet we sort of know that we're living in a fantasy world and we shrug our shoulders and go, but we live in the real world. That's fantasy. But what if there is a story? What if there is a narrative? What if there is a hero? What if there is a bigger story into which your life fits? That's what we have in Genesis 3.15. So we are going to, don't freak, we are going to do the whole Bible When I said we were doing one verse, I lied. We're doing the whole Bible. We're going to see this big theme. And the story that we get in Genesis 3.15, can you see that it's a story of war? It's a story of conflict. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There is a conflict that is going to happen. And this war, this battle that's described here, is the background to the whole storyline of the Bible. This battle is crucial to our understanding of the Bible. And so we're going to work our way through, we're going to see it, and we're going to therefore try and understand why we see such evil in our world today and where we can find hope. So the first thing I want, uh, I want us to do um, is to see that in this verse the lines are drawn. The battle lines are drawn. It's very important in a battle that you know who's on which side. Right, That matters. It's why in a football match you wear different colour shirts. Because it's chaos if no one knows who's on which team. And so in Genesis 3.15, the lines are clearly drawn in the battle. And God says, I will put enmity between you, snake, and the woman. Now, that's important. Because back at the start of chapter 3, it looked like they were going to team up. Right? It looked like the woman and the man were going to join Team Snake. It looked like they were going to be on the same side. The, the snake, now, let me just fill this in if you haven't been here. The snake, when we talk about the snake here, the snake, it, we're not talking about actual snakes, that there's going to be some kind of, ah, this is why we hate snakes sort of thing. 
the snake here represents the enemy of God, the devil. And so it looked as though the man and woman were going to join the snake. The snake was kind of trying to recruit people to his side. You know when you try and get the best footballers on your team at school, if you ever did that? No. So uh, he's trying to get people, come, come join me, come join me at my team. But look what God says. God says, no, you will not join forces. God says, I am going to put enmity between the woman and the snake. Now, I think that's quite a surprise. Because I think if, I, if you'd walked in here this afternoon and I'd said, what's the great battle, the kind of cosmic, spiritual, big battle going on in the universe, who's it between? You'd have said between God and the devil. This war is between the woman and the snake. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not quite how we normally think about the battle, but that's what God says. God draws the lines. God says this battle is going to be between the woman and the snake. But not just between the first woman and the snake in the garden, but look, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. There's going to be a line now. There are going to be, the lines are drawn. There are going to be two lines who are going to be at war. There is going to be the line of the snake, the, the line of the devil, the enemy line, and there's going to be the line of the woman. And it is between those two lines that the battle is engaged. And do you know what? That's what you see in Genesis chapter 4. The very next chapter, two boys are born, Cain and Abel. One belongs to the line of the woman, but one chooses to belong to the line of the snake. And from that point on in the Bible, that's the battle. The lines are drawn. Two lines. A battle that rages between the woman and the snake. And they're both going to get injured in the battle, but they're not going to be equally injured. Do you notice? So let's just check what's going to happen at the end. God, God kind of spoils the ending. There's going to be a battle, but hey, spoiler alert. This is what's going to happen. Snake, the woman's team is going to crush your head. And you are going to strike his heel. Now listen, if I had a choice of you crushing my heel or crushing my head, I know which I choose. They're not equal. They are very, very different. If my head is crushed, that's game over. If my heel is crushed, I think I can play on. <laughs> it's a mere flesh wound. To quote Monty Python that none of you will have. <laughs> Hopeless. Thank you for those who laughed. I appreciate it very much. And so this battle that's going to rage between the snake and between the woman, and we're going to see the line of the woman, there's going to be a, a line coming offspring from the woman. Oh, but there's something so tantalizing, because in Genesis 3.15, it's still an acorn. You can't see it all yet. But when it says, he will crush your head, the weird thing is that that's a singular male pronoun. He will crush your head. So you suddenly go, there's going to be, from the woman, there's going to be a line that comes, but there's going to be one in particular who's going, to be, who's going to deliver the decisive blow. 
So here it is, okay? The battle is laid out in Genesis 3.15. The snake and the woman. The snake's offspring, the woman's offspring. Right, now, from there, we're going to follow the lines. Okay, so now, follow me. I mean, with your fingers through the Bible. Um, We're going to follow the lines. We turn over one page. We've seen Cain and Abel. The two lines are put in place. Next week, Phil is going to unpack Cain and Abel um, and to show us how these lines continue. And this just gets more and more clear as you go through. A line that chooses to rebel against God chooses to listen to the lies of the snake and a line that chooses to trust in God. And these two lines follow through. You can follow it through the pages and we're going to take a big jump now. You'll be glad to know. (laughs) Go to Psalm 72. (laughs) Oh, that was a happy big jump. So in Psalm 72, what happens is um, from the line of the woman, um, the the nation of Israel has come. From Israel, a king has come, David. Now his son Solomon is the king who God has chosen. And so this is a psalm about the king. Look at verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the hill afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush, the, see the language, the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon to all generations. May he be like rain falling on a moaning field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. That's all language from Genesis. The dust, crushing the head, licking the dust. The king, now from the line of the woman, is going to defeat the enemy. And so the battle rages. And yet you still discover that this isn't quite the one. Solomon is not quite the one who's going to do this. He sort of messes up. So you have to go on and on and on through. Until eventually you get to Jesus. And it will surprise you not at all if you've been around at Globe Church for long to discover that Jesus comes to do battle. So go to Matthew's Gospel. Okay, so here's my question. The moment Jesus is born, right in Matthew's Gospel, Christmas time, happy, happy, what a beautiful nativity scene. Where's the wise men? Let's have the wise men. Come in, wise men. Here come the three wise men on their camels. They're going to see Herod. Hello, Herod. Oh, Herod's a baddie. Why? What does Herod want to do? Kill a child. Why? Because it's the two lines. Because the battle rages. Because when the, when the seed, the offspring of the woman comes, when the true king comes, the enemy goes mad. And the first thing the enemy wants to do is to destroy the king of God's kingdom. 
And the war kicks off big time. This is why suddenly in the pages of the gospel, suddenly evil spirits start coming out and, and people start attacking and there's a war going on. But I want to take you to one other place, which is probably a passage that if you've ever read has confused you and I hope now will help you. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Okay, we're going to, um, you're going to, you're going to do the work now, okay? Uh, this is page 1241, last book of the Bible, Revelation 12, page 1241. You're going to do some work now, okay? You're going to help me to work out what this means from what we've known so far. So uh, let's be uh, awake and uh, ready. A great sign appeared in heaven. <laughs> right, Revelation is, has got some big crazy language in it, okay? It's, it's apocalyptic, it's, it's awesome. Right. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Huh. Now we'd read this and go, well, who's the woman? I don't know. Oh, who's the wo- Come on, who's the woman? Okay, what about if the woman is the woman that God promised would give birth to the serpent-crushing king? Who did God make that promise to? Eve. God promised Eve that from the line of the woman would come the one who would crush the serpent's head. Here's a woman with the language of creation, the sun and the moon, She's got 12 stars because the woman's line goes through Israel, through the 12 tribes of Israel. And now she's giving birth to a son. And this is the son. Look what happens. She's about to give birth, so it's kind of like a pretty intense moment. Um, enough, that's enough of that. Verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Right, what's the dra- who's the dragon? The snake. Now, if you're not sure about that, then uh, jump down to verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan. So this is the snake. So now we've got the same battle all the way back in Genesis 3 is now here in Revelation 12 between the offspring of the woman and between the snake. Here it is again. Okay, so let's see what happens. Um, let's pick it up in verse, halfway through verse 4. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. That's a gruesome picture. Such is the battle. The snake wants to destroy the offspring of the woman. But look what happens. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So the baby is born, whoop, straight to heaven. This dragon's like, where's he gone? Bother, missed him. Right, that's, that's kind of a summary of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. All there in that verse. 
The baby's born, lives, dies, resurrected, and boom, has gone. Ha <laughs> ha, Satan, you missed him. So that's, that's what's going on. The woman fled to the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of. Okay, then, now look, war breaks out. This is the great war. War breaks out in heaven. Michael, he's like the archangel. This is big stuff today. And his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So there's a battle raging in heaven, a spiritual battle that is unseen to the human eye, but is actually mirrored by the battles on earth. So a battle in heaven between the, 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 the line of the woman and, and between snake and the snake. And then look what the loud voice says. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his m- Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They've triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. So in the coming of Jesus, what happens is that there is a decisive war in heaven, and the snake is thrown out of heaven, and is defeated. Triumphed, how? By the blood of the Lamb. It is the moment when Jesus dies on a cross that he, and then rises again, that he triumphs over the enemy. He wins the great victory. Have, have any of you seen the film um, The Passion of the Christ? Um, it's not one of my favorite films. And, and it's a pretty gruesome film. There's lots I don't like about it. But there's one thing I love about it. At the very start of the film, if you've seen it, um, it starts with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And then this horrible character um, who, who represents Satan comes into the garden. And then from Satan, a snake comes out. And the snake is slithering all over Jesus. And then Jesus stands up and he stamps on his head, and the snake is destroyed. It's very powerful. Because what Mel Gibson understands as he makes that film is that that's what Jesus came to do. When Jesus died on the cross, he dealt a blow to Satan. He defeated the snake. So there has been this great victory. So we can celebrate the fact that Jesus has won. Jesus has defeated the enemy. His heel was bruised. He was crucified. He died. He felt pain. But the serpent's head was crushed. But you might say to me, yeah, but why then does it still feel so tough? Okay, let's see what happened to the snake next. The snake is thrown out of heaven... Where does he go? To the earth. And he's 
filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He knows he's not got long left. He knows he's defeated. He knows he's going to lose, but he's not yet been completely removed and punished. So look what we're told in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he'd been held to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings... Don't worry about this, this is very confusing, and I'm not even sure what this means. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she'll be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the snake's reach. Then from his mouth, the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So that, this is weird, right? So that the woman seems to continue... And the dragon wants to destroy the woman, but she's sort of protected. But verse 17 is what I want to get to. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who are the offspring of the woman today? The church, right? Those who have put their trust in Jesus. Those who said, I want to follow you. And so Revelation 12 says that the battle, although has been decisively won, the battle still continues and it rages between the snake and now between the offspring of the woman. That's us. Can I say that's why life is hard? There's a long way to get to it. That's why life is so hard. Because there is an enemy who is evil. And there is an enemy who wages war. And you know, even as I say all this, it's easy, isn't it, to sit here and go, this is ridiculous. I think John's just lost his mind. He's living in cloud cookie land. You can't seriously believe this today. Actually, I do seriously believe this. Because the Bible shows us things that we could never see with our own eyes. And yet I want to argue that this makes so much sense of the way our world is. I want to argue that when Adolf Hitler made the decision to do what he did, he was acting as an agent of Satan. He was acting as the snake. And when people set themselves up against God, that is who their master is. That's why it's so evil. When those two people broke into that house in Enfield and defeated uh, and beat up that old man, they're acting on... There's, there's an evil at work there. And there is an evil now that we experience, that we know, that we feel. And we need to be ready to Stand firm and fight. And that's the last thing. Oh, we've done that. And that is to say, we live in this battle. And we need to learn to live in this battle. One last place to turn, okay? And then um, we're going to pray. Can you go to Romans 16? Romans 16, page 1143. 
fascinating verse. Paul is, uh, this letter Romans was written to a, a church who under massive persecution, they were experiencing the battle, right? There was an enemy who was trying to destroy them. Look what it says in verse 20. Here's a word to anyone here who feels the intensity of the battle. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the promise. The promise is that because Jesus has come and because he has defeated Satan, because he has fought the battle on our behalf, because he's won the battle on our behalf, therefore as we fight, we don't fight in despair. We don't fight going, oh, this is so hard. It's impossible. There's too much evil. It's too hard. We fight with hope that says, no, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. Who is the serpent crusher? It's Jesus, but you, you will crush Satan under your feet. God will crush Satan under your feet. But we have to see that in this battle, we don't battle. um, As we feel the evil around us, we don't lose heart. We don't lose hope. We lift our eyes and it makes us long for the day when Jesus returns. And we long for him and we say, come Lord Jesus, come and bring an end to this evil. Come and bring an end to the war. For some of us, we're right in the middle of that battle. We all are in the middle of that battle. Some of us feel it really keenly. Do you know what it feels like to battle? Do you know what it feels like to struggle? Do you know what it feels like to, to feel the conflict? Perhaps that is because of a situation you're in. Perhaps it is because of an enemy who's opposing you. Perhaps it is because of just the temptation that you feel and the struggle that you feel. Here's a verse for you. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your head. Right back in Genesis chapter 3, God looked at the snake and said, Snake, you lose. There will be a battle that will rage and rage and rage, but snake, ultimately you lose. And that means that when we talk about being a Christian, what we're talking about is saying we belong to the offspring of the woman. We belong to team woman. (laughs) That's our side. That's remarkable because by nature I often choose to live this side. I often live to choose to live as an enemy of God. And the very reason Jesus came is to bring me from the kingdom over here to team woman. And if we're living, trusting Jesus, living in team woman, then we win. You want to sum up the whole Bible in two words? Jesus wins. That's it. He wins. And therefore, no matter who rises up, no matter what Pharaoh or Herod or Hitler or Saddam Hussein, or it doesn't matter who rises up against him, Jesus wins. No enemy will stand against him. Jesus wins. Therefore, it is the height of folly to choose to live as his enemy and the height of wisdom to live as his friend. So if you're struggling, if you're feeling the overwhelming burden, if you're feeling like your head's going down, if you're feeling like I'm struggling here, lift up, lift up your heads. Jesus wins. Hold on. The promise that God made in the garden 
has been fulfilled at the cross and will be fulfilled on the day when Jesus returns and the snake is finally destroyed forever. We're going to pray together and then we're going to take some time to to sing and to respond to this storyline of the Bible. Um, But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that this battle that rages is not an uncertain battle where we don't know what's going to happen. We thank you that you have made it very clear that the offspring of the woman will crush the the head of the snake. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to live, to live in the light of this, to live our lives in the struggle of this world that when we are confronted with evil, that we would know that you win, that we know that Jesus wins, that we know that in him we win, and that we'd trust him, and that we'd hang on, and that we'd keep fighting. Father, please, please help us, we pray, in our weakness. Amen. We're going to sing together. Um, we're going to sing a song that we learnt um, a little while ago. Um, it has got this, the second line, we sojourn. And sojourn is not a word we use very often. It means we journey. You know, we're kind of like, we're journeying through. Um, but you'll see in the, in the last verse, it says, um, but your strong arm will crush his power. This is a song about the victory that Jesus gives us um, as we trust him. Why don't we stand and let's use these words to encourage one another.